0: Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. I want to start out by talking about words that are opposite or that we think of as opposite. So if I say the word hot and ask you to tell me the first word that comes to mind that is opposite of hot, you would say cold. If I say sunshine, you would say rain. If I say good, you say Bad. If I say love, you say hate. If I say happy, you say sad. Lots of words that we think of as opposite, including the two words that we're going to talk about this morning, and those are the words grace and truth. I really believe that we think if we are grace filled, then we can't be truth-filled. And I think we often feel that if we are speaking truth, then we cannot extend grace. But here's what I know. Jesus was both all of the time. Jesus was both grace-filled 100% of the time, and Jesus was truth-filled 100% of the time. And so as followers of Jesus, our primary goal in life should be to think more, speak more, and act more like Jesus. So that's what we're going to focus on today. How can we do that? How can we be both full of grace and full of truth? But before we can investigate that, I think each of us needs to kind of settle in our own minds, in our own hearts, which way we lean. Because what I know about human nature is that the majority of people do drastically lean one way or the other. You are more grace-filled, typically and naturally, or you are more truth-filled. So I'm going to give you some statements first about grace-filled people, and then about truth-filled people, and I want you to listen and see where you line up. So, grace people first. Grace people are the folks that don't ruffle any feathers. They cut us a lot of slack. Grace people are easygoing. They make very few demands. Grace people are pleasant to be around. Sometimes we, we wonder if they actually like us or if they're just trying to be liked. Grace people are tolerant, so much so that often we wonder, do they even really know right from wrong? Grace people demand nothing of other people, and most of the time they get nothing in return. Grace people typically accept us for who we are, but they often fail to help us who we should become. Grace people want to be loving, and they think that they are loving. But the reality is that grace, without any truth, is not really loving. It's just accepting and being nice. And then there are the truth people. Truth people have strong convictions and beliefs. They know right from wrong. Truth people set very high standards, and they have low tolerance for mistakes and errors. And when an error happens, they are quick to cast judgment on others. Truth people are the ones who speak out against oppression and prejudice and evil. Truth people have no trouble making difficult decisions, but in doing so, they often make life difficult for others. Truth people are committed to a standard, but in their stand for truth, they can easily act like a bully. Truth people can be slow to forgive, they can be intimidating, and they can be legalistic. If you are a grace person, your primary concern is being loved. If you are a truth person, your primary concern is being right, even if you are unloved. And you know, I think both of those have their dangers. Because there is something wrong if everyone loves you. And there is also something wrong if everyone hates you. So, I wonder, are you a grace person, or are you a truth person? Think about that, hold that in your mind as we go through the rest of the message. Acknowledge which one you are, and then we're going to look at Jesus and how he was both, and then we're going to ask how we can emulate that in him. So what we're going to do this morning, the way we're going to structure the message is we're first going to look at John chapter one, a couple of verses, which describes Jesus. Then we're going to look at grace and really define grace. Look at some biblical examples. Then we're going to do the same with truth. And then lastly, we're going to look at several verses in John chapter eight, where we see Jesus modeled so beautifully being full of both grace, and truth. And so what we're going to focus on today, and this is the big idea, if you are taking notes or like to take notes, I encourage you to write this down. The big idea is that grace and truth are not competing, but are complementary characteristics that should be equally present in a believer's life. Grace and truth are not competing, but they are complementary characteristics that should be equally present in a believer's life. So let's go to John. John chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 1. Now, before we do that, let me tell you just a little bit about John. John, one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, and John was a close personal friend of Jesus. Jesus called John to follow him. And so for the three years of Jesus' ministry on earth, John had an up close and personal view of how Jesus lived his life. So with that in mind, let's read what John says about Jesus. Verse one In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John is calling Jesus the Word and then jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was born, put on skin, He dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You notice that phrase? Full of grace and truth. 100% grace all of the time, and 100% truth all of the time. Jesus wasn't grace on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and truth the rest of the days of the week. Always, in every occasion, with every interaction, Jesus was both full of grace and full of truth. So let's take a look at grace first. What is grace? I actually went to a dictionary and looked up the definition of grace, and it said, a favor rendered by one who need not do so. So to put it simply, grace is receiving something that we do not deserve. Now, if we go to the Bible and look At definitions of grace and examples of grace, there's no better place to look than the cross of Christ. And I want to read to you a verse from Romans chapter 5. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. While we were in rebellion toward God. When we wanted nothing to do with God. Jesus died so that we might be reconciled to God. That is amazing grace, astounding grace. You see, according to the Bible, we are all sinners. And as sinners, we deserve death and eternal separation from God. And according to the Bible, there's nothing that you and I can do to make ourselves right with God. No amount of good deeds, no amount of good intentions will reconcile us to God. But Jesus, in the greatest act of love and grace that the world has ever known, he stepped up and he paid the price that you and I owe for sin and he died on the cross. Amazing grace. You know, as I've thought about this, and I've thought for myself personally, why is it so difficult to extend grace? I wonder if our reluctance to do that, to extend grace to others, is because we don't truly appreciate God's grace to us. And I wonder if we don't really appreciate God's grace to us because we don't understand the enormity of our sin against God. That was true for me. I was in my mid-30s, the first time I ever studied the book of Romans in depth. And you know, up until that point in my life, I considered myself a good person. I had no criminal background. I think I had one speeding ticket, but that wasn't bad, right? I lived a moral life. I was even regular in my church attendance and in my church service. And so all of those times that I was gossipy or sharp-tongued or unforgiving, I thought in no way that put me in the same category as a murderer or a rapist. But one morning I was sitting at my kitchen table and I had my Bible open to Romans chapter three. That was the passage we were studying that morning. And I read these words that I'm going to read to you. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And I don't know what happened that morning except the Spirit of God snatched my heart. And I began to weep. As I truly, for the first time, understood my sinfulness and my awfulness before God and as I thought about that in contrast with God's righteousness and holiness I was cut to the core and I recognized myself as that wretch that the hymn writer John Newton talks about in his hymn Amazing Grace. And as I began to understand those truths about myself and my sinfulness, then I began to comprehend a little bit more God's amazing grace toward me. I wonder if you have ever really stopped and faced the reality and the enormity of your sin. Because when you do, the only reasonable response is humility and unending gratitude for the amazing grace that God has given us. On the evening of September 6th, 2018, 26-year-old Botham Jean was sitting on his sofa in his Dallas apartment eating ice cream when off-duty police officer Amber Geiger entered his apartment and fatally shot him. Geiger claimed that she thought she was entering her own apartment and that Botham Jean was a burglar, and this was despite the fact that Geiger was on the wrong floor of the apartment building, and there was a distinctive red doormat outside Jean's apartment. Geiger was eventually convicted of murder, and, he was, and she was sentenced to imprisonment. And John, if you have that slide, go ahead and put that up there. What happened at Geiger's sentencing and what captured the attention of the nation is the picture that you see here. Because according to reporters who were in the courtroom that day, Brant Jean, who was Botham Jean's brother, said to the judge... Your Honor, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? And when the judge granted his request, Grant Jean embraced his brother's murderer and said to her, my main desire is not that you go to jail, but that you give your life to Christ. Wow. What? What? a picture of grace. Grant Jean embracing and extending kindness to his brother's murderer and pointing her to Jesus. Now I'm going to go ahead and confess to you guys right now, I am more of a truth person. (laughs) Those of you who know me well are not surprised at that. And so, I'm also going to be honest and say to you, I just don't know that I could have done that. I don't know that I could have done that. I am all about people getting what they deserve (laughs) and justice being done on earth. But guys, here's the reality Jesus didn't give me what I deserve. And he didn't give you what you deserve. He gave us Jesus. Jesus, who is full of grace and full of truth. So let's look at truth. What is truth? Again, the dictionary definition is conformity to fact or actuality. And as we look at Scripture again to define truth and give us an example of truth, Jesus tells us what truth is in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus doesn't just give us words to define truth, he embodies truth. He personifies truth. Jesus is the standard for truth. And so anything that lines up with Jesus' thoughts, Jesus' words, and Jesus' actions is truth. And anything doesn't that doesn't is not. But I know you're aware that many today say that truth is relative. Well, you know what? That may be true for you but that is not true for me. But notice what Jesus says. He doesn't tell us that he is a truth or one of many truths. He says he is the truth. There are also those who claim today that truth is not absolute. We hear things like, well, you know what? That used to be true, but times have changed, and that's not true today. But Jesus tells us in Hebrews 13:8 that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so according to Jesus, truth is fixed. Truth is not fluid. And so as followers of Jesus, we must be committed to truth. We must allow truth to be our guide. We must live by truth without compromise. We cannot be so afraid of offending people that we just eliminate or overlook biblical principles like sin and hell and repentance. But... As followers of Jesus in our quest to stand for truth, we must not be hate-filled and harsh and graceless. Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas, has a well-earned reputation as one of America's most reviled hate groups. The church's website is this, and I'm not kidding. Godhatesfags.com. This church is known for their homophobia. Now, just let that sink in for a moment. A church is known for their hate of something rather than their love for Jesus, and for each other. And so for many years, this church has made it their mission to stage highly visible in-person and online protests against those that they have identified as supporters of homosexuality. On the day of the Boston Marathon bombing, Westboro Baptist Church posted a press release to their Twitter account that said this, Massachusetts invited this special wrath from God when it was the first state to pass same-sex marriage. Hashtag praise God. Now, I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to assume that the leaders of this church believe that they are championing God's truth regarding sexual morality. But what they've actually done with their graceless and hate-filled rhetoric is shame and defame the name of Jesus and hurt untold numbers of men and women made in God's image. Now, here's the thing. It's easy for us to point fingers at Westboro Baptist Church. I would never be like that. And we may not be as vile or as public as of that. But, if we truth people are not careful, and if we are not cautious, you and I can do the same Thing when we are determined to uphold truth at the expense of grace. Jesus was both. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. He never compromised one for the other. So let's look at John chapter 8, where we have an example of how Jesus did this. And I'm going to start reading at verse 2 of John chapter 8. I think the verses will be on the screen. At dawn, he, Jesus, went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to him, said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord she answered. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Grace and truth. Now, the Pharisees were truth people, and they wanted the woman to be judged because that's what the law of Moses said. They were standing for the truth. No doubt... There were some grace people who were hearing this conversation and they likely were thinking, oh man, let this poor woman go. I mean, after all, we we all make mistakes. But I think Jesus surprised both groups with his response. First, for the truth-seeking Pharisees, he reminded them that they too were sinners. And he did that by suggesting that the one who had no sin be the first to cast a stone. Of course, they were all sinners, so they all began leaving. And then when the woman stood there by herself, he looks around and says, has no one condemned you? She must have been astonished at this point. She said, no, sir. And then Jesus extends grace. He looks this woman in the eye, and he says, Neither do I condemn you. Full of grace. But he didn't stop there. He went on and said to the woman, Go and do not sin anymore. He spoke truth. He called the woman's acts sinful. Perfect balance of grace and truth. You know, I think one of the issues that we have in a lot of areas, but in this one particular, the issue is that we feel like it has to be either or. We feel that we have to choose either grace or either truth. We can either be grace-filled or we can be truth-filled. But Jesus was both. Jesus was both and. He was grace and he was truth. And you and I should strive for that as well. So I wanna ask you a few questions that will help put this in a little bit of a contemporary light. These are just rhetorical questions, something for you to think about, but are societal issues and personal issues where I think we struggle between grace and truth. Shouldn't we both share God's condemnation of sexual immorality and be compassionate toward those caught in immoral lifestyles? Shouldn't we both uphold the sanctity of life and be willing to support women through unwanted, unexpected pregnancies? In your professional life, shouldn't you both be understanding of the employee's mess-up, screw-up, and be willing to retrain or coach, and also hold the employee accountable for accuracy on the job? How about personally? Shouldn't we both remind our children of our unending love for them and discipline them for their willful disobedience? In your marriage, shouldn't we both be quick to forgive our spouse and remind our spouse of how their words or actions hurt us? Yes. (laughs) Yes, the answer is yes, yes, yes. We do not have to choose either grace or truth. It is not either or. It is both and. Just like Jesus. Now I could just end right here. <laughs> this is what you need to do. But really the question is how in the world do we do this, right? Because I know I suck at this. <laughs> And I bet there are some of you in here that struggle with this as well. So I wanna give you four pointers that I think would help us better balance grace and truth. And the first pointer is this. First of all, you gotta identify in which direction you lean. Are you a grace person or a truth person? And you can do that by honestly reflecting on the questions that I asked earlier, or if you're brave enough, ask someone close to you, what do you see in me? Am I a grace person or a truth person? And then when you identify which way you naturally lean, you got to ask God to empower you to be a better mixture of both. So, number one, identify in which direction grace or truth that you tend to lean. And then number two, remember that in every single encounter, both grace and truth are needed. In every encounter, both grace and truth are needed. Because here's the thing without grace, Our words of truth make us self-righteous bullies. But without truth, our grace can cause us to look like stand-for-anything kinds of people. So, in every encounter, both grace and truth are needed. And then number three, lead with grace, If you notice in our text, that's what Jesus did. Jesus started with grace. So lead with grace. Because here's what I know. <clears throat> if the first thing you do is spout out the truth, what happens? You alienate that person. You shut them down. You put them on the defensive so they cannot hear anything else that you have to say. So lead with grace. And hopefully that sets the stage for that person to be able to better hear the truth. And then finally, number four, keep both grace and truth present throughout the conversation or the interaction. Keep both grace and truth present because here's what I also think can happen if you have a grace part of the conversation and then you have a truth part of the conversation, it can seem very disjointed and like two different talks. So if you are confronting and speaking truth, sprinkle in some grace. If you are expressing care and concern, remember to pepper in the truth. Keep both grace and truth present throughout the interaction. I have a lot of work to do in this area. I think that's one of the reasons that God put this on my heart, this message that I needed to speak. Maybe you also have some work to do in this area, because I really do think that most of us feel that we can either be grace-filled or we can be truth-filled. But grace and truth are not competing. They are complementary characteristics that should be equally present in a person's life. So as we close, I want you to just think about some relationships in your life as I ask you a few questions. If you're married, how would your marriage be positively impacted if you better balanced grace and truth when relating to your spouse? If you're a parent, how would your children's perception of you positively change if you regularly and consistently extended both grace and truth to them? What about at work? How differently would your coworkers and your employees see you if you maintained a balance of grace and truth with every interaction with them? As believers, our primary goal is to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, and speak like Jesus. And Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth 100% all of the time. So will you join me now in asking God to empower us to be those people as well? Pray with me. Jesus, I know for myself, and I'm guessing for many of us here in this room, this particular part of your character is really hard for us to live out. But Jesus, I know for my heart, and I assume for the hearts of those in this room, we want to be more like you. And so, Jesus, take what we've heard today. Help us to assimilate that, not just into our minds, but into our hearts. And then give us the courage to make efforts to live this out. We want to be people who represent you well. We want to be people who increasingly look like you and speak like you and act like you. And we need you to empower us to do that. So will you? We ask in your name. Amen.